All right, welcome to another edition of the Awaken 2008 podcast. This is Daniel Decker. Thanks again for being with us. Today's interview is with Dan Kimball. Dan is the lead pastor of Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California. He's also the author of They Like Jesus, But Not the Church. And in today's interview, Dan's going to talk on a variety of topics, and one of those being about how his church has partnered, kind of merged with an older church in their area, as well as what he feels is the significance of aligning our lives and prayers to be more missionary-like, so that we are, even in a local community, developing the mindset of being a missionary in that area. So I hope you'll enjoy the interview with Dan and Bill Dallas, the president of CCN, the Church Communication Network. And as always, let me encourage you to jump on awaken2008.com and take advantage of the early bird discounts on tickets. And we hope to see you out there at Awaken, April 1st through the 3rd, at Mosaic in Pasadena, California. Dan, thanks so much for being here with me, and it's good to catch up with you. Yes, it is. I'm glad to be here. So tell us what you're working on these days for those people that haven't maybe heard from you in a while. Um, mainly working on uh, the launching, uh, continuing launching of the church, and we've just actually merged with a uh, kind of a aging, somewhat dying out church with uh, that we've uh, gone through the complex process of uh, moving into their facilities, and that's been an adventure, but that's been a primary focus. And then, writing-wise, I'm working on the follow-up to the They Like Jesus But Not the Church book, which is called Do You Like Jesus But Not the Church? Exploring the Uncomfortable Questions About Christianity and Church. And that's a book, it's my first one, that's written for a general audience rather than just church leaders. Now, when you wrote the book, They Like Jesus But Not the Church, once it was released, how did you get a little, was there a little controversy, or did you get um, some people... Um, coming at you wondering why you wrote that book yeah there is surprisingly there is a uh, peep there's certain i guess uh, veins of uh, christians in the christian world that don't feel you should be asking people outside of the church what they think of uh, of christianity or christians and they will say everyone's going to hate christ you know jesus said they will hate you so what else do you expect and that caught me off guard because I was thinking, if you're a missionary, you want to understand the people that you're you're bringing the gospel to, and you want to you know understand their thinking and their values and how they view the world. So I was a little surprised at that criticism, but again, it was a very kind of a small but very vocal kind of vein of Christian that uh, feels like that. Why, why do you, why do you think they they feel like that? I mean, obviously, we understand when people have a you know, take a position, we can understand why they become vocal, but, but why do you think some took the position like that? You know, it's, it's hard to say. I have taken the time to actually try to follow up on some of the critics that had that particular criticism, and most of them were saying that, um, you know, people, uh, well, they just, it, it's, once you live with the understanding or you believe that the understanding is if you're a Christian, Jesus said they will hate you. Then you start viewing the world like that, and then how you think of evangelism will look like that, and how you approach people who might not be Christians, you're automatically thinking they're going to hate you. And it's just kind of a, a, a worldview that they get, which to me I believe is an incorrect one. Jesus did say people will hate you, but that was he was talking to people that, would, uh, that were going to be you know, proclaiming Jesus as Lord over Caesar as Lord. You know, he was he, he was not thinking we are hated today more for that we come across as kind of arrogant and we come across as 
non-caring and very judgmental and we're not relational often with people outside the church and we're not demonstrating the fruits of the spirit kindness love you know peace um and so i think i, I know people are going to reject the gospel absolutely um but i wish that we would be known more for being kind loving you know patient and that's not how we're known overall so i just think that the kind of person that feels the opposite then propagates that and they feel like, well, they're going to hate me so then I will act towards them like this they're going to hate me so therefore I will evangelize them like this I, will, I don't have to invest in the relationships with them I can just say the gospel in a few words and if they reject it then they are uh, they're, they're not elect then I'll move on it's just a whole mindset of thinking and that's what I've learned which I was surprised actually I didn't realize that existed that strongly in some people you know, we've enjoyed doing things with you over the years, uh, Dan, both at conferences as well as simulcasts that you've done to the church, and so we, we're appreciative of your ministry. Um, obviously, it's had a great impact, which, again, we appreciate and, and applaud, but obviously not everything you do is, is, all, is always filled with uh, success and kudos. I mean, there must be some failures, and so I guess my question, one of the questions would be is, is what are some of the failures that you've gone through or have had, and what have you learned from those failures? And I'm saying that so the people that are listening to this podcast can kind of learn from maybe some of your failures that can help them in their ministry. Yeah, what comes to my mind first is uh, in church leadership is that I think when we lead, we often lead in ways that we think others will respond because we like to lead in ways that we would respond to. And I think through the years, I came out of, uh, and you've been there, Santa Cruz Bible Church. It was a wonderful, large, contemporary kind of mega church. Great church. For, yeah, 13 years, or something like that. And then that was a very, and <clears throat> we learned that there are different values, even within a great, wonderful church like that, because I'd be leading a certain way, and other people within the church would be leading another way, different kind of people groups that you'd be leading. And then the, uh, you know, there, there could be, misunderstanding and miscommunication when you're thinking you're saying the same thing but it's really two different things and so what I've learned is that I always have to be asking more questions of when a leader is speaking even when they're saying words what what do those words mean and when I'm talking about leading and when I'm casting vision a certain way and talking about values you know, two people may say the word community, but how you define community may be different depending on the people group that is responding to that type of leadership. So I've learned this uh, in different ways when um, that I need to understand that my specific style of leadership is not necessarily everybody's style of leadership and vice versa. And so you have to really work harder together if you're a plurality of different personality types uh, moving towards the same goal. That's a very short answer. It's a very complex kind of question that I started there, but probably a lot of lessons about learning different styles of leaders have different styles of leadership, and you really got to understand that. You know, I know you're going to be speaking at the Awaken conference that we're doing that Earl McManus is hosting at um, his Mosaic Community of Faith in Pasadena, I know you're going to have a lot of things to share. Um, one question that I would have for you is, as, as you know, there are a lot of seasoned leaders who are going to be there, but there are also going to be a lot of, of new, younger leaders who are going to be part of this conference. And 
you know, if you could talk to the people in their late 20s or early 30s, people that are just maybe starting church plants or are just early on in their ministry, is there some things that you would tell them that that you wished you had known uh, then what you do, what you know now? Yeah, I mean, to younger leaders, I would, I'm, I'm very uh, passionate lately about um, really trying to uh, stress the importance of if you are, especially if you're in a youth ministry or a young adult ministry or you're planting two new churches, to really understand that we, we have to view ourselves like a missionary does. Yes, we have to preach. We have to preach you know, and teach and develop ministry teams and learn, the, learn all of these skills. But unless we are aligning our lives and our prayers and how we lead to be like a missionary would if we were going to another entirely different country, entirely different culture, I think that is what a lot of younger leaders may not grasp to the extent I really feel is needed today. And so then it's really fleshing out what is it like to be a missionary leader leading a church of training them to be missionaries themselves. And that's an entirely different mindset than I'm just going to plant a church in suburban America and hopefully God will grow it. You know, it's an entirely different spectrum of thinking. Now, that is, is both for new leaders as well as maybe the more mature leaders. But, you know, speak now to maybe some takeaways. I mean, you're... you're going to be together with some great leaders and speakers, communicators at this event in the early part of April, uh, Wayne Cordero and Bill Hybels and Henry Cloud and Earl McManus. Um, obviously, you're there, and we're excited to have you there. What would you hope would be a takeaway just for anybody attending, not, not just new leaders, but, but seasoned, mature leaders? What would you hope... You know, when you go speak at conferences and you're speaking, but you're also speaking with other people on a platform, what's your end goal or end hope that those attendees take away? Yeah, what I, what I love about what's happening at the Awaken event is that you have, um, you know, it's broken down into different kind of groups, but what you have, the names you just mentioned, are leaders who have not just taught about it in theory. And, you know, Wayne Cordero... And, you know, some other people on the, in there, they're very different kind of people. And I love the insight that I like hearing and love listening to is what have they learned in Hawaii in that particular culture with Wayne's gifts that maybe, and I'm not going to copy that, but something that is very, I can learn so much from these people. And that's why I personally just am thrilled to be going there. And I just think it's important to be listening to different speakers, knowing they're all different, differently gifted, they all have a different background. God has put them in a different place at a different time period. You know, it's a different community. And that's why we can't just say, oh, that's what's happening there. We have to look at the whys, what's behind it, and then really say, you know, what can I learn from that and then apply in my particular context. But I just love that it's a lot of practitioners because I learned so much from people, seasoned people. And, uh, and realize that everyone's different. Not everybody's the same, and that's the beauty of it. Now, as you see the church landscape out there, and I know you travel a lot, you speak at conferences, you speak at churches, you're with a lot of church leaders. Do you see a uni unifying theme or maybe a chord that runs through of, of what, what God's doing in, in today's uh, culture in the church? And conversely, where do you think the, the shortcomings are of maybe some of the 
the walls that need to be knocked down. Yeah, what, what I'm actually really excited about that I see happening, I mean, when you talk, to, I think there's a, a, a recognition among most churches um, there are, that we are more and more in this, you mentioned it earlier, a kind of a post-Christian world, uh, and, and at least in kind of mainstream America. And what that churches are finally saying, okay, it doesn't mean we have to be going on like business like usual. It does mean we have to really be, like I said a few minutes ago, about having more of a missionary heart and missionary view of things. And then that opens it up to the forms of ministry. What you do may look entirely different. I think there's some that are bunkering down and saying, nope, we're not going to change. You know, God's been doing things this way a certain way, and they're getting tighter and tighter, uh, more bunk, you know, down and sticking to what they used to do. But I, at the same time, I think there's so many that are now saying it's time for change. I mean, you can just feel it. There's time for change. We have we have to be serious about the gospel in America, and it may mean that church is going to look different. My role might look different, and that to me is a very exciting thing that I sense all across America right now starting to happen. You know, Dan, we, we appreciate you being on this. I mean, again, we're looking forward to hearing you speak and get a chance to, you know, shake hands and, and, and be there, you know, face-to-face with you in, in April. Um, do want to ask some, we like to ask some of the more personal questions that get uh, listeners really understanding who you are. Um, they're fun questions, but before I do, got to ask the question that, that, that I've always wanted to know is, is when did, when did the hairstyle start? The hairstyle started when I was in college at Colorado State University. I got into the whole rockabilly punk music scene, and I drummed in a band uh, for, for many years. We lived in London, England for a year, and I used to have my hair probably about twice as high as it currently even is. And it was just that whole kind of punk, rockabilly, pompadour sort of scene that developed. I've actually trimmed it down somewhat through the years, but it was mainly from my involvement in that whole musical genre is where, where I got into that whole thing. And I, uh, for some reason, just said I'm not going to kind of trim it down that much and kept that look for a while. Well, I hope you never change it. Um, we love we love it. We love seeing you. Every time we see you, it's, it's obviously um, it's a trademark of yours, I guess you could say. Um, what, what are you reading right these days? Reading. I'm reading, um, I just got uh, N.T. Wright's new book, Surprised by Hope, um, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, the Mission of the Church. Uh, it's always great reading him. He's such a very thought-provoking author. Um, I'm also reading, there's a book out called God's Rivals, Why Has God Allowed Different Religions by Gerald McDermott on InterVarsity. And it's another really... Uh, Really thought-provoking book, looking at pluralism in the world and and the, uh, the the monotheistic view, which is the true one, and how that fits in. And uh, and I'm actually reading a book called From Gutter Balls to Strike: Correcting Common Bowling Errors. I'm actually taking bowling lessons again, and I'm trying to uh, get a little better. So what's your best game you've ever scored? Uh, my well, I probably average more like I'm not that great. I average like one. 70-something, probably, and I once bowled a 255, I think, was my best. But That's not bad. That's so, then, if you're listening to your iPod, what are you listening to these days? 
On my iPod, I have right now, I just got Bruce Springsteen tickets for when he's playing in uh, San Jose, so I am listening to Magic, his new one, and I'm also listening to The Root of Elvis Presley, which is a CD that actually goes back and looks at the blues music that he went and re-recorded, bringing in more of a, bringing country music infusing it with blues, and that's how he got well-known, but this goes back to the originals that he recorded from. Now, if you're, um, two last questions. If you have an opportunity to have dinner with an Old Testament uh, character, who's it going to be? Wow, Old Testament character. I've never, ever thought of that before, and what comes to my mind right now is Jonah, and I think of Jonah because I'd really want to ask him, how did he have his heart get so wacky to where he wasn't happy that Nineveh rejoiced. And I don't, that's just what comes to my mind. I don't know if I'd say that if I thought about it more, but that's the first person. And then obviously the, the, the follow-up to that is, with the exception of Jesus in the New Testament, who would you have dinner with? I would probably like to have dinner with, um, boy, that's another, these are great questions I never thought about. I would say it comes to my mind first, would be Thomas, probably because he also had his doubts, his thoughts, when he was convinced, just the reality of struggling through following Jesus at that time, and what he observed, and uh, and then when he was convinced of it, what then when he recognized who Jesus was, he went and lived his entire life till he died for it. So he's a guy. I did a study on him in college, and maybe that's why I'm thinking of him first. Well, Dan, I think the one thing that, that we appreciate, I appreciate personally about you over the years, is you're, there's a realness about who you are, um, a deep commitment to Christ, and um, you're not afraid to say and, and be who you are, and you, you, at the same time you, you've got a passion to help all of us you know, have the same type of passion for Christ that you do. So just thanks so much for being here with us today. We'll look forward to seeing you uh, at Awaken in the early part of April and um Again, we just wish you the very best. All right. Thank you, and I really look forward to being there. So I will see you then. Thanks, Dan. Okay. Bye-bye.